It has been a joy to be worshiping back with you. I've missed you the last few weeks. I've had the privilege of, of going to Puerto Rico a, a couple of weeks ago with our senior high youth. And church, you need to know how proud you ought to be of our senior high youth as they serve the Lord so faithfully in Puerto Rico and ministered to those people and handed out Spanish Bibles and did so much work. Uh, this is a picture of them. There were 66 of our youth there. This is the whole World Changers group. There were four churches at this particular setting, and uh, we were by far the largest of the churches represented there. And they rep the, ours are the good-looking ones there, if you can pick them out. But they, they represented the Lord well. Kudos to Jonathan Chapman and Larkin Shaw and their leaders for having our kids so well prepared for the task at hand and serving the Lord over there. And it was so great to get to know some of the senior high better as I uh, was chaperoning them. And uh, to all of our senior high that are listening that went, thank you for a job well done. And may the Lord continue the work he did in you and through you. It was a great week. God was doing some things as they were nailing and hammering and sawing and uh, sweating. <laughs> And it was just a great week, and thank you for sending them, for supporting them, for praying for them, and thank you, Senior High Youth, for the privilege of being with you. It is my joy to share the word with you today, and I want to look at a fun and encouraging story, probably a very familiar story in the Old Testament to you. Uh, we're going to be looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles 20. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I hope you'll turn there. If you have your smartphone, I hope you'll click there on your Bible app. Or you can look at it in the bulletin there in the worship guide. There is the copy of the passage there as well. You can follow along. So as you're turning there, let me just set the uh, stage for where we are in this particular portion of God's Word. Uh, Second Chronicles is a narrative history, much like uh, First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, First Chronicles. I mean, these books do just that. They chronicle or record a history in a certain period in uh, order of the events and the people that were there, keeping a record for us of God's working in the hearts of his people. And we find here in Second Chronicles, the author is the prophet Ezra. Most theologians believe that it was Ezra, a priest. And it covers the beginning from King Solomon's reign in 970 B.C. up to the beginning of the Babylonian captivity in 586 B.C. And the, in, in Second Chronicles, the key personalities and names are ones that you're familiar with. King Solomon, the Queen of Sheba, Rehoboam, Jehoshaphat, Jeroboam, Joash, etc., and it emphasizes in 2 Chronicles the blessings of the righteous kings and it exposes the sins of the wicked kings. It parallels kind of First and Second Kings. It's written from the viewpoint, again, of a priest. And so we see in Second Chronicles more from a spiritual viewpoint. What happens when a king is good and keeps his eyes on the Lord? How it blesses the people and there's reformation and revival and repentance and how it goes when the kings are not good, when they are wicked kings, and their destruction and the sadness. And so you can read Second Chronicles and you can see over these 20 kings here that we're gonna, that, that this portion of the book covers, how God blessed those who kept their eyes on him and God punished those who did not. In Second Chronicles, chapters one through nine teaches the details of the reign of King Solomon 
It covers the wisdom of Solomon and it covers the building of the temple that was dedicated to the Lord in Jerusalem. And it has, has that special passage in those chapters that we use as a call to revival where we remember you, you read that passage in First Chronicle, I mean, Second Chronicles that says, my people who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. And so we find all of these things going on in Second Chronicles. And then chapters 10 through 36, the last portion of the book, describe the events of the nation of Israel. The nation split into two kingdoms, northern kingdom and southern kingdom. And really this passage of scripture only speaks mostly of the southern kingdom and it chronicles the 20 kings from the line of David there. And 2 Chronicles focuses again on those 20 kings and how they fared as they sought the Lord in their leadership. From bad character to good character, back and forth. It's quite an amazing thing. And our story today is found in chapter 20 of 2 Chronicles, and we're going to fall here right in the reign of King Jehoshaphat. And he was at the end of his reign here in chapter 20. He reigned for 25 years, and he was one of the good kings. Uh, many times in 2 Chronicles you'll read that he uh, did what was right in the eyes of of the Lord. And during that 25 year reign, they experienced revival, renewal, and reformation that always attends a people who seek the Lord and return to Him and His Word. So let's read through the story, 2 Chronicles 20, and make some comments along the way. Uh, warning, warning, should be a buzzer that goes off here. I am from Alabama, and my southern pronunciation of the names that you're about to hear may be heavily influenced by excessive okra eating. So, <laughs> just you read it and pronounce it like you want to. All right, here we go. Chapter 20. And our first section is the prayer of Jehoshaphat that he led the people in. And we're going to be looking at 20 verses 1 through 13, the prayer. After this... The Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meuites, came from Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to Seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, and here is this wonderful prayer, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations in your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and we will cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, 
and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given to us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Stop there just for a minute. We are powerless against this great horde. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What a great prayer. I mean, here they were. Again, this is the end of the reign of King Jehoshaphat. He was a good king, and so they were experiencing revival, renewal, and reformation. They were at peace with people around them. They had come up into the land, and they had not, as God directed them, not hurt these people. And then all of a sudden, these people who had basically had become with good relations with them had turned against them. Not only so, they had gathered together and joined forces, and they had already entered the land, and they were coming forth, and, and it just took them by surprise. Things were going well, and something happened out of the blue. And then they sent a, a messenger came and said, Jehoshaphat, they're coming against us. They're trying to drive us out of the land. And so instead of panicking or trying to figure out how he was going to solve this and call his military leaders together, what does he do? He calls the people to pray, to fast, and to seek the Lord together. And in this prayer, first, he acknowledged God's sovereignty and his power, and then he recounted to the Lord the great deeds of the past. He did not fear the future, but rather he looked to the past and remembered, God has been faithful to us. I can trust him in the future. He trusted in the Lord who had driven out the Canaanites to fulfill his covenant with Abraham. Jehoshaphat understood that the Lord had done great and amazing feats in the past to create and protect his covenant people. Thus, he could continue to trust the Lord to deliver his people once again. So he recounted to the Lord what he had done, not to remind the Lord, but to remind himself of the many things God has already done for them. So why should he fear at this point? Why should he not put his trust in God? How helpful it is it is for us to remember God's guidance, providence, and blessings on our life when we face adversity. If Jehoshaphat had reason to trust in the Lord, we have even more. Like Jehoshaphat, we can look to the past and we can ground our trust in God to protect and provide for his covenant people, the church. So Jehoshaphat calls the people to prayer and to fasting and to praise saying we don't know what to do but our eyes are on you and then what happens verse 13 meanwhile all judah stood before the lord with their little ones their wives and their children so they responded they responded to the call and they were there gathered to seek the Lord, to pray and to fast all the families all from all the cities right there seeking the Lord. They were giving thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. So we have the prayer, and it's a great model prayer. Then we have the promise, the promise. 
verses 14 through 19. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, so a prophet here is speaking, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not be anxious, do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need, listen to this, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. And then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohites and the Korahites stood up in praise of the Lord, the God of Israel, and they praised him with a very loud voice. The sovereign God hears their prayers. And in the midst of their prayer and praising, he raises up a prophet who delivers a promise to them that he will deliver them from the hands of their enemies even without them having to lift a finger. The battle is not yours, but God's. The promise of God was given while the people were praising him and seeking his face. God is faithful to all of his promises and loving toward all that he has made. So they hear this promise. It may have sounded strange to them. They've given the command of what they are to do. They're to go fight a battle, but they're not going to have to lift a hand. But we trusted in God in the past. We will trust him with our future. So what do they do? They see the provision. Section 3, verses 20 through 30, the provision. So they rose early in the morning, and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Okay, stop there just a minute. As any good choir director would do, you have to point out the fact that he sent the choir in the front lines of the battle. <laughs> now, I think I would do that if I get to choose who was first, but <laughs> just kidding. Um, <laughs> I mean, really, think about this. Okay, set the stage again. There are three nomadic tribes, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Edomites. They join forces against Israel. 
They, they now were in threat. They had, they had left them alone, but now they were coming against them. They were threatening to be wiped out by them. And so the people led by King Jehoshaphat turned to the Lord in prayer and they asked for help. They, only, they knew only a miracle of God could save them. And after Jehoshaphat prayed to the Lord, the Lord answered the prayer of Israel through a prophet by the name of Jehaziah, who told Jehoshaphat, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of our God. So, the next morning, the people got up and went out to go to battle, and King Jehoshaphat made what must go down as one of the strangest decisions in military history. Instead of putting the archers and the swordsmen in front, he put the choir in front. Those were who to sing in their holy attire. This surely must have seemed strange to the people. But they went forward and they sang the battle cry. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And they were standing there, unmoved, unflinching, and their weapon was praise. <laughs> Why praise? Where's the least likely place to find the adversary? In the midst of the praises of his people. Let me put it this way. Where's the least likely place you would ever find a rabid Alabama fan? At an Auburn pep rally. I mean, seriously, they might go to a game, but they're not going to go to an Auburn pep rally. Now, sorry, Alabama fans, for putting you as the adversarial role here, but... Well, no, actually, I didn't mean to do that. But <laughs> the Bible tells us God inhabits, God inhabits the praises of his people. So if, if in the midst of the praises of your people, Satan's going to flee. The adversary is going to flee. God's going to get the victory. Praise is a powerful weapon in our life against the adversary. So what happened? They're standing there, the choir's in front, they're praising the Lord. Verse 22, and when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush. Listen how this is worded. The Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. <laughs> For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. They obliterated each other. Now in our choir circles, we make some jokes, choir directors. And about this passage was said, perhaps the choir was sounding so bad they just did away with themselves so they could put an end to it. <laughs> Didn't have to listen to it anymore. <laughs> it's not the case. But anyhow, there was not one left. Without lifting a finger, the Lord took care of every adversary in their wake. Give thanks to the Lord for steadfast love endures forever. There was not one left. God was faithful to his promise to save the people. But you know, God just doesn't do what we ask. 
he does infinitely more than we could ask or imagine. Amen? And so what do we find here in verse 24? When Judah came and they rounded that crest and they saw the valley and every one of their enemies was destroyed. They looked toward the horde and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, God gave them the goods. These people weren't just coming to attack them. They were coming to drive them out of their inherited land. They had brought with them all of their goods, all of their possessions. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking all the spoil. It was so much. And then on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka. For there they blessed the Lord. And therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Baraka to this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat as their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord, and the fear of the God came on all the kingdom of the countries. They had heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. God gives us more than we even ask for. He gave them the spoils of victory. Consider him who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How much more will he not, along with him, graciously give us all things? You see, our battle has already been won. And we are the beneficiaries of the spoils of Christ's victory. We get the victory and we get the blessings. God is faithful to all of his promises and loving toward all that he has made. God got the attention of all who heard what he had done. I heard on Fox News this weekend, actually, if you listen, I'm sure they'll repeat the story again. But a chef somewhere was cutting into an eggplant and he saw what looked like the word God in the eggplant. I mean, they're doing a story on this. And, and I, I'll give it to them. I, I looked at the eggplant on the TV and it looked like it said God in there. And he said, they asked him, what do, what do they think, what does he think this means? He means, well, God is trying to get my attention, and I'm fearful. Folks, if God wants to get your attention, he's going to do it in a bigger way than an eggplant. <laughs> God got their attention, and all the nations around them, they saw the faithfulness of God and the power of God being displayed. You know, I, 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 what was the result Let's look at our last verse real quick. Verse 30. So, after all of this, the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for as God gave him rest all around. <laughs> the result was just rest and peace. 
They were ready to face a battle. They didn't know what to do. They trusted in God's promise. He made the provision, and they were at rest. I love that story because it's true, because it's real, and because it gives us a pathway in which to navigate our lives when we face adversity. I mean, what is your battle today? What is your battle today? If so, then I encourage you to to pray and praise and, and, and turn your eyes to the Lord first. Now, that's not easy. It's not our natural instinct. What do we want to do? We want to try to solve it. We want to try to get answers. We want to know what is actually the outcome is going to be. But God just says, trust him and seek my face. So pray, praise, and turn your eyes to the Lord. And then, second, look for his promises. Look for his promises. Go to his word and find the promises of God which you can stand. I don't know about you, but I want to serve a God who promises that I know the plans I have for you, plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. I want to serve a God who promises me, come, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I want to serve a God who says, who promises power to the weak and the powerless, that even youths may grow weary and tired and young men will fall, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I want to serve a God who promises that he will supply all of my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I want to serve a God who promises me that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in sky above or earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to serve a God who promises if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. I want to serve a God who promises that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to serve a God who promises that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I want to serve a God who says he will not let us go through anything that he cannot handle for us. I want to serve a God who says and promises if he's going to prepare a place for us, then he will return and bring us home where he is. I want to serve a God who promises that death is swallowed up in victory. Where, oh, death is your sting. Where, oh, grave is your victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to serve a God who promises that the Lord himself will one day descend. dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and are left will be caught together with them in the air. We will serve with God forever. I want to serve a God who promises those things. And I want to serve a God who is faithful to those promises because he is. Amen? Yeah. Yeah, he's faithful. Sorry. Yeah, I knew it was going to happen. I came prepared. And so you, you pray, you turn your eyes to the Lord, you claim his promise, and then thirdly, you watch for his provision. It may not come in our timetable, 
It may not come in the way that we think he should provide or take care, but he's faithful. This is the story that we've read this morning, I believe, that Martin Luther had in mind, along with um, Psalm 46, the companion passage to this, that he had in mind when he penned the words to the hymn that we sang both here in the sanctuary and in the gym this morning, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Would you listen to this text one more time? A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Bulwark is a rampart that we can hide behind. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe, he does seek to work us woe, and his craft and power are great, and he's armed with cruel hate, and on earth is not his equal. And did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing, were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing, and does ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age to age to age the same, and he will win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word, Jesus, a praise will fail him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. So let good and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still because his kingdom is forever. This hymn and text has become much more urgently needed in my life and family this past year. It's almost been a full year since we lost our son. But I will tell you, That's the biggest battle I've ever faced. It was a battle where everything came against us. And I will not say that it was easy to put my eyes on the Lord at that point and go to him in prayer and praise and seek his face. But that's what we've tried to do. With your help, with your grace, we've tried to do that. We've sought the Lord. And he's made us some great promises. And he's been faithful. He has provided. I can tell you, our God is faithful. (laughs) He's provided. It hasn't been easy. But we have seen God do things that we can only attribute to his power and his majesty. Church, you've been a part of that, and I want to thank you. For me and Charlotte and our family, we have, we're just very grateful. You see, the sovereign God is the one who created us, who redeemed us, and who has set us free. 
We can trust in his power and his provision in every area of our life, no matter what we face. Doesn't say it's going to be easy. Doesn't say it's always going to go the way we think it does. But he is faithful. He's a sovereign God. So I want to ask you to ask yourselves this morning, what struggles are you in? What sorrow has gripped your heart? What fears are possessing you now? What uncertainty is ruling your life? Who is out to get you? What battles are you facing? If you don't know what to do, then put your eyes on the Lord. And remember the battle cry. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Would you say that with me? Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Again, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And then trust in him. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. The battle is not yours, but it's God's. And he will give you rest. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> God, indeed, we go and we look at your word in the story and we marvel at your power to take care of your people. God, there are many times in our life we face battles, we face adversity, we face uncertainty. And in doing so, we ask that you would give us the grace to seek your face first of all. To pray and to praise and to put our eyes upon you and to look and trust in the promises that you have given us. Let us recount to you your promises, what you have told us you would do. And then let us look for the provision that only you give. And even though it may not come in our time, even though it may not come in the way we think, we know that you are faithful to your promises and loving toward all that you have made, so you will come through. And in the midst of it all, let us find our rest that you give. So God bless us for the opportunity that we have to trust in you. Show yourself as always faithful in our lives. And let us rejoice in the goodness of our covenant keeping God. In whose name we pray. Amen.